Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. So I just wanted to start in uh, Revelation chapter 3, uh, starting with uh, chapter 3, verse 7, and the Church of Philadelphia. And those of you who've been attending for a while uh, probably are very familiar with the scripture as we studied Revelation in the past. It's, it's Jesus Christ um, speaking to uh, John uh, to write these words. And to the angel of the Church of Philadelphia write, These things says he that is holy. He that is true, he that has the key of David, he that opens and no man shuts, shuts and no man opens. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. And then if we'll jump over to Revelation uh, chapter 3, verse 14. This is a letter to the church of Laodicea. And unto the angel of the church of Laodicea write these things. Says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot, so that because you are, thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. But you say, I am rich and increased with goods, and I have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of, to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with, with eye salve and that thou mayest see. And as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door, and open the door I will come in to him, and will sup with him, and he with me. To him that overcomes will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am sat down with my father in his throne. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, as I was preparing to introduce our guest speakers today, I'm asking myself the question, why, after 49 years, the law of the land was overturned? Why now? And then, why that particular piece of scripture? So I would ask you to ponder that as we bring up our guest speakers and hear what they have to say. So it's my pleasure to introduce our general in this battle, uh, David Ripley. He came to Idaho in 1984. His mission at that time was to fix Idaho. We were too Republican, too red, too red of a state. Uh, he was one of the uh, generals at the time that orchestrated the uh, uh, shift in politics to lead to a Democratic majority uh, in the state of Idaho. Uh, and he's, he was very, very good at it. Uh, and uh, did an excellent job, but God. And I'm going to save that story. You're going to have to get that from uh, 
David personally, it's a tremendous testimony, but that's, uh, that's for another time. But he's, since 1995, he's been the lead advocate uh, for Idaho Chooses Life. That is the uh, organization that, that has created a coalition of legislatures, uh, governing uh, officials, the governor's office, uh, to navigate this minefield and emotional issue of uh, choosing life. Um, and the, the dichotomy that it creates today. But he's done a, such a great job that it is now uh, illegal to perform abortions in Idaho. And for that, we have to be grateful. Plus, he's my new friend. So please join me inviting David up to the pulpit to share with us this morning. What a privilege to be here with you today. I had the honor of being here about a year ago before the most historic year in, uh, I think, American history, perhaps. Who knew it last time I, w I was up here that we would be able to say that abortion is illegal in the state of Idaho? Praise God. I warned Pastor Mike that if he invited me to come, especially when he was absent, <clears throat> that I, I might make trouble. <laughs> because this is such a unique place and opportunity for me. And I want to talk to you today about some issues that, the deeper aspects of the abortion issue that I don't really talk about in public but I think are front and center, and I would like to share them with you today because we face not the end of the battle, but the beginning of the battle. And there are many facets to that struggle. And so today I wanna to talk to you about the deeper parts of this aspect and why it is such a vital question. In fact, I think the abortion issue is the issue. I think the abortion issue is the fight for the gospel. I think the abortion issue is the fight for the soul of our state, our community, and for this country. We have been blessed in, in 2020 the Lord laid on my heart to bring what's called the trigger law to the legislature. And I just want to talk to you for a little bit about the history of the trigger law and the history of abortion in the state of Idaho. From 1864 to 1973, abortion was a crime in the state of Idaho, even before we were a state. And in the very first code book of Idaho, abortion was considered murder. And that was true until 1973, when Roe came down and the Supreme Court snatched from the people of America the opportunity to make the decision to protect the life of the innocent. 
1973, the legislature was coerced into legalizing abortion under a great protest. It was a shock to the people of the state of Idaho and to the Idaho legislature at that time to think that they were no longer going to be able to protect innocent life in the womb. They were told by the Attorney General, various lawyers, and you know, the Constitution that they had no choice but to adhere to the ruling of the, uh, of the U.S. Supreme Court, which they did. But in the same session, they created a trigger law. And the trigger law said, if this ever is repealed, which we believe it will soon be repealed, because it is so outrageous, it is such an affront to the conscience of this country and to the people of America, we want to enact a trigger law that as soon as Roe is overturned, by one means or another, we're going to restore those legal protections to the preborn children, the preborn citizens of Idaho. So that also was done in the 1973 session of the Idaho legislature. And that was on the code book in Idaho until 1990. And in 1990, Governor C. Salandris finagled a plan to get the legislature to repeal the trigger law. And I have to confess to you that I was part of that plan. I was a pro-choice Democrat in those days. I worked with the governor's office to get that trigger law repealed. And thus the state of affairs was from 1990 until 2020, there was no trigger law in place it seemed for most of the time that I worked in the pro-life movement that it was of little consequence because there was no serious danger that the Supreme Court was going to come to its senses. But in 2020, almost 30 years later, the, the Lord laid on my heart that it was time to put that brick back into the wall. And I can't tell you how glad I am today that I listened and we did it. I don't know if we could get that law passed in the next legislative session. The law is very simple, despite what you might be reading in your newspapers and from various letters to the editor. It makes, once again, abortion illegal except in the cases of rape, incest, or threats to the mother's life. We have the medical community across the state organizing and trying to persuade the legislature that the law needs fixing because it's too complicated for them to understand. Personally, uh, I worry about the state of our medical profession because if they can't understand threats to the life of the mother or those exemptions or how life works, I'm not sure they're ready to be doctors. But that's, <laughs> that's an argument for a different day. <laughs> C. 
Soon after uh, I helped Governor Andrus get that trigger law repealed, I suffered the abortion of my own son in 1994, in the summer of 1994. That's how I came to the pro-life movement. It moved from a bumper sticker and a wedge issue and a political question to what's real. I had the privilege of seeing my son in the ultrasound. There was no question that he was alive, that he was a baby. And his mother, who had an abortion history, which played a role in her decision to change her mind about whether or not she wanted to keep that baby, it all came tumbling down in a very, very quick um, cyclone of destruction. And I found myself unable to defend his life. I could not persuade her. I could not, I was so, I was so foolish and ignorant of what I had been doing with my life and what the state of the law was that I went around to friends of mine, lawyers in Boise, <clears throat> meeting with them, asking them for help in finding a way to get into court to defend him. And they looked at me like I was, you know, pretty much a hopeless case because they were like, don't you understand what Roe is about? Don't you understand that it's her right to make that decision and you have nothing to say about it? I said, but this makes no sense. I'm, I'm his father. I want this baby. And whatever crimes I may have committed, he didn't. Well, we feel bad for you, but you don't exist as far as the court is concerned. I lost the fight for his life, and it pretty much almost destroyed me, literally, because I not only had to deal with the pain of losing him, the fact that I felt like the death sentence that was imposed upon him was for my sins, my failings as a person, my failings as a husband, my failings as a father. And yet, it wasn't me who died. This innocent child died. But as I began to grapple with what was happening and the truth of what I've been spending the last 10 or 15 years of my life defending, I had to grapple with the fact that not only was I responsible for his blood, I was responsible indirectly for the blood of many. I didn't hold the scalpel. I didn't hold the women down in those procedure rooms. I didn't coerce women into getting abortions, but I 
defended and supported and advanced the culture and the legal system and the political culture that allowed that to prosper. And the guilt was overwhelming to me. And I did not, and Satan was all over my life. And I learned an important lesson about the abortion issue at that moment. I attempted suicide because Satan was as interested in getting my life as he was in getting the life of my son. Satan, too, is no respecter of persons. Soon after that suicide attempt failed, I realized that I had to find a new way to live. And there was only one door left to me, which is Jesus Christ. And in his great mercy, he reached down and he grabbed that burning stick out of the fire. And he said, I can do something with this. And that's the work that I've been privileged to do ever since. And in those first months after coming to the end of myself, when I was literally crushed and alone, I quit my job with the IA. I had virtually no friends because all my friends were liberal pro-aborts. I had no family left. I had no income left. I was at what they call the end of myself, which is exactly where God had to get me. And I had to learn how to live again. I had to learn how to live not on my terms, but on God's terms. And I began to spend hours and hours in his word trying to rebuild my mind and my spirit and my body and my will to live and my sense of how to do that. And one of the great missions that I had, I knew that I wanted to fight this evil of abortion. <clears throat> but I had grown up in a pro-abort world. And I had grown up in a philosophy of abortion being a choice. Abortion being about a woman's body. So I needed to see what God had to say about this issue. And in the course of that, I had learned by hanging around with false shepherds and false teachers that the abortion, that abortion wasn't even in the Bible. And it's true, if you go to your Strong's Concordance and you look up the word abortion, you won't find it in there. But like many lies of the enemy, when I started reading this scripture, all I saw was the word abortion. From the beginning of the book to the end of the book. Uh, what I saw was the sacrifice of the innocent. What I saw was the gift of life. What I saw was Satan wanting to destroy us. What I saw was God wanting to bless us. And I want to talk to you today. I want 
In Jeremiah, one of the verses that I think captures so much of the truth of what abortion really, really, truly is, is in Jeremiah 7.30. The people of Judah have done evil in my eyes, declares the Lord. They have set up their detestable idols in the house that bears my name and have defiled it. They have built the high places of Tophet in the valley of Ben-Hinman to burn their sons and daughters in the fire something I did not command, nor did it enter my mind. So beware, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer call it Topheth, or the Valley of Ben-Hinman, but the Valley of Slaughter. For they will bury the dead in Topheth until there is no more room. And the land will become desolate. I wrote a book soon in the first year or so after that abortion in which I talked about what the Bible had to say about abortion. And there are so many scriptures like this throughout the Old and the New Testament. And I wrote that I believe that abortion was the modern practice of child sacrifice. It is true that most people engaged in abortion, certainly the women who choose abortion, are not consciously and knowingly sacrificing their children to some god, some false god. But that does not change the fact that that's the reality of what's actually happening. I have seen no one talk about this in that way until this year. I ran across a book that has just been published called The Return of the Gods by Jonathan Kahn. And I'm reading this book and I'm thinking to myself, Finally, somebody understands what I think is happening here. And this is what I want to talk to you about today. That book is, I recommend it strongly. If you're struggling trying to figure out what is happening to the world around us, if you're struggling to try to figure out the speed with which it seems to be falling apart, the speed with which we are engaging and the culture's engaging in the most horrific treatment of children. When you're talk, you look at medical professionals, psychologists, doctors, lawyers, government officials saying that it's now okay to mutilate children because suddenly God doesn't know how to make people anymore. We don't know what a woman is anymore. We don't know what a man is anymore. We don't know what race is anymore. We don't know anything anymore. How do you make sense of this, right? 
How do you make sense of this chaos and insanity? Well, I recommend to you that book because I think he has nailed it. And he even gave me a way to think about it in a more focused way. What is happening to America is the return of the gods. What does that mean? Well, let's start from the beginning of the story. Do you realize most of human history is pagan? Most of human history is pagan. Most countries, cultures are pagan. The peculiar people that God called out of Egypt, his people that he taught and picked, the Jews, the Israelites, he picked them where they were the first not pagans on the planet. The norm was paganism. And then God moved, Jesus appeared, became man. Then we moved into Christianity. Christianity began to push back the walls of paganism, push back the culture of paganism throughout Western civilization. It became Christianized. The old gods were destroyed and abandoned and forgotten. Christianity moved into the southern hemisphere of Central America, contrary to popular opinion, or at least modern popular opinion. Christopher Columbus and the Spanish were primarily sent by the Lord to redeem those people and those cultures who were deeply rooted in paganism, who were engaged in child sacrifice as a norm and part of their fundamental spiritual culture. Child sacrifice was normal throughout the world. Christianity vanquished it. Jesus, the love of Jesus vanquished and elevated the value of humanity and human beings. It was quite normal for people to abort babies and to commit infanticide throughout Greek and Roman history. It was Christianity that put an end to that. Jonathan Kahn talks about the three principal spirits of the ancient world, of the pagan world. Baal, Ashtoreth, and Moloch. First comes Baal that breaks down the norms. Astrith is the great seducer. She's known by many names. In Israel, she was known as Astrith. The Egyptians knew her as Ishtar. Aphrodite was her name among the Greeks. The spirit of sexual license, the spirit of 
women becoming men and men becoming women was part of her culture. The transgender movement is an expression of the spirit of asterisk. And then comes Moloch, the destroyer. Khan builds his whole lesson, really, around the teaching of Jesus in Luke. In chapter 11, verse 24, Jesus teaches this. When an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept and clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. The spirit of Baal has been upon America for some time, making it unacceptable to pray in schools, driving God from the public square. The sexual revolution of the 60s, the spirit of Ashtoreth, Behind that came the child sacrifice of abortion. The condition, the walls are closing in on Christianity in this country. You're looking at the repaganization of, of Western civilization. Why do I go into all this? For this simple reason. We took the hill in 2020 when the idle legislature and the governor chose life. When they passed and signed the trigger law into law, they chose the blessings of life for the people of Idaho. But now the people of Idaho are in the valley of decision because the law is like any other law. We took the high ground, we took the hill two years ago and praise God that law took effect about a month ago, August 25th. But I can tell you the Mongol hordes are gathering at the foot of the hill. We've got four lawsuits going on right now. The last one filed by the Church of Satan, of all things. We have the medical community expressing grave reservations and confusions and concerns about the trigger law because they've been trained in abortion for 50 years. 
This is not Marcus Welby, MD, anymore. They don't take the Hippocratic Oath anymore. Did you know that? They don't because it's too closely associated with Christianity. The fact of the matter is that they've been indoctrinated for 50 years into believing and accepting the proposition that killing babies is acceptable health care. And now, under the guise of their white coats and their stethoscopes, they are laying siege to the law and coming forward with a, a, a list of recommendations for how to fix it and improve it. We have Planned Parenthood wanting to repeal it. And the fact is, I think the next two years in Idaho are going to be very, very intense. In fact, I will tell you, I think the next legislative session in January is going to be probably the hardest I've ever had in almost 30 years of working on this issue. Over the next two years, the people of Idaho are going to have their say about what kind of people do we want to be. It starts this fall with elections. The beginning of the choosing is going on right now. Are we going to vote for pro-life people? Or are we going to vote for pro-abortion people? Are we going to vote for people who support child sacrifice? Or are we going to vote for people who defend the right to life and the gift of life? And that process is going to accelerate over the next couple of years. And I don't know what the outcome is going to be. Because Rose protected all of us in a funny way from the consequences and our ability to really impact the slaughter of the innocent that's become mechanized, right? We could do, we could pray, we could go to a rally, we could write a check, but we really couldn't get at it. Well, praise the Lord. He answered the prayers of the saints over 50 years, and he broke those chains. He broke the chains of Roe. He busted down those gates protecting that evil. He set us free. But with freedom comes responsibility. And now it's really going to come down to individuals making individual decisions with individual responsibility for what kind of a society do they want to live in, and what kind of a society do they want to leave to their children and grandchildren. The fact of the matter is that the body of Christ can no longer be disengaged from this issue. It is front and center. And the reason I went into all the conversation about the spiritual battle underneath 
abortion is to try to get you concerned, alarmed, and prepared, and, uh, and, and to get you to understand what time it is in Idaho, what time it is in America. This summer we saw, I think it's the third or fifth, I can't even remember, Pride Festival in Boise. Not just in Boise, but on the steps of the state capital of Idaho. They did not hold the Pride Festival in, on farmland in Meridian or rent uh, a park in Rupert. There was a specific reason they held that event at the Andrews Park in front of the state capitol. It's a spiritual proposition. They planted the flag of Ashereth in the state capitol in front of the seat of government, the seat of, of your power and your representation, making a claim on behalf of those gods. They want to turn Idaho into a pagan civilization, like they have succeeded, unfortunately, it would appear, in other parts of America. The fight w before us is very real and eternal. It is not just a question of fighting for those lives of the innocent babies involved. It is a fight for the souls of those women and fathers and the, and the culture itself. You look at with me at John, the first chapter, verse four, talking about our Savior, Jesus. The apostle writes, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. That is why I say to you, the fight over abortion is really a fight for the gospel. The gift of life is an expression of God's love for us. The rejection of that life is a rejection of that light. We have no choice but to battle for that gift of life because by doing so, we honor our creator. The battle takes many forms, but I tell you that God has a purpose for you in this fight. That's why you're here now in this time a time many people thought would never actually happen. 
but God chose 2022 to strike row down. And he chose you to be present at that moment in history. I ask you to pray about what God would have you do. And, I, and then I would like to invite my friend and colleague, Nikki Cruz, to come up and talk about one of the more important aspects of this battle. For 50 years, we've been preaching sin. We've been preaching the law. We've been preaching the un the injustice of Roe. And all of that's been quite true and quite accurate and is still true and quite accurate. God heard those prayers. Roe was struck down. But now, the challenge is different. Now the challenge is not the law but the love of Christ. We have been slaughtering about 2,000 babies a year in the state of Idaho. Our guess is that we have murdered about 98,000 babies over the course of Roe in this state. And just to try to help you get your mind around what that means, if those people were alive today, they would range from newborns to 50-year-old people in the prime of their productivity. And they would constitute the fourth largest city in the state of Idaho. The mechanics and the engineers and the housewives and the teachers, the taxpayers, the consumers, Gone. The challenge now is, now that abortion is illegal, what happens to those women and what happens to those babies that otherwise would have been aborted? And the challenge to us is finding it in our hearts finding it in our hearts to donate our treasure and our time and our love to loving those women, to welcoming those babies into our communities and to making the trigger law work, to proving to Idaho and to the country that life is better than death. We have a better answer. Whatever your circumstance is as a mom, however hard it is, we have a better plan. There's a better way to meet that challenge and to meet that problem than killing that innocent child. And critical to that work is the work of the Sage Women's Center and Nikki Cruz. And I ask you to receiver and to support that ministry in your own community. Lord bless you. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel, please visit our website at www 
thespringscalvarychapel.org. Join us in person at The Springs in Hebron, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.